Hello and welcome to the super awesome episode of the Boink Radio. We are here on the Boink Network Discord and we've got a whole bunch of people and J Ringo's not here. So we can do absolutely whatever we want. It's going to be so fun today. I've got lots of news and I can talk about my tea as long as I want now. So let me tell you about my tea. So I've been doing the mixing because um, I've gone through all of my new teas and I've got uh, I've been started I've started mixing them so that I can get you guys some more uh, interesting combinations and interesting tastes. And uh, this time I've mixed uh, the orange pico. I think that's how you pronounce it. Never understood how to pronounce that one, but I've mixed that with a bit of English breakfast. And it has produced the most smoothest and creamiest tea that I've ever had. I just add a dash of milk, a bit of honey, and oh my god, this is like drinking liquid gold. It, it is the best tea that I've ever had. <clears throat> and yes, I like to bash people in the Northern Hemisphere, because it's much better down here in Australia. <laughs> Alright, um, so today we're going to be talking about a bit of news, we're going to chill, we're going to have some fun, and we're also going to talk about some emerging projects as well. And uh, hopefully, I got a couple line up, and hopefully they're really good. So uh, let's get ahead and roll the intro. All right, let's start off with the news. Uh, as usual, we'll start off with the World Community Grid news. Um, and uh, let's get right to it. All right, we got something from the Microbiome Immunity Project. They have sent out a little update on their project. And it looks like they are looking to introduce a new type of work unit. The researchers said that they wanted to make changes to some of the work units that uh, they submit to World Community Grid, and they say that these changes could actually speed up some of their research. So it looks like it's an efficiency change, not a um, not a fundamental research change. So it's not going to change exactly what they're researching, it's just going to change the speed. And uh, they also mentioned that their paper is still in progress. So uh, they're at the data analysis stage, and hopefully we should see a paper from them soon. Uh, another update from World Community Grid. As usual, 90% of agriculture in Africa depends on rain. I would have thought it's 100%, but I'm yet to be, <laughs> I'm yet to be proven wrong. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, another update from the brilliant African Rainfall Project. They do, they do an update every week, I think, and uh, it looks like they've hired another student. So they've got a pretty crowded boardroom over there with all the students. This student will be helping with the post-processing of data and they will be working on one kilometer models of rainfall. And uh, I can't tell exactly whether the model refers to one kilometers in, um, in area or whether it's one kilometer in height. So um, either or, what the models that they're working on are really probably fine-grained sort of localized models and that in uh, just a bit of explanation about weather models they'll be looking very closely at the earth rather than much more out there and I think I've done an episode on climateprediction.net where I actually explain the difference between very small and detailed models and very large models and the difference is that the large models are better on a macro scale you can see exactly what's happening everywhere and you can predict sort of what it's going to look like from a very far away perspective, but you can't really predict exactly what it's going to be like at the actual place. At If you're standing there, you won't be able to predict it. And that's what the really micro models are for, where they look at maybe a patch of uh, one kilometer by one kilometer squared or 10 kilometers by 10 kilometers squared. Um, 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> 10 kilometers by 10 kilometers or 1 kilometer by 1 kilometer. And with those sorts of models, you can get a bit more accurate predictions for localized weather, but it doesn't really help for the long term. It's only really for the short term that, you, that sort of uh, predictions. <clears throat> and just an update on their work units, they're sending out generation 28 of their work units. So they've made quite a bit of progress by the looks of it. Well, Community Grid has also released another bit of news. It uh, refers to actually a um, very good cause that they, they're advocating and relates very closely to their Mapping Cancer Markers project. Um, I, Ian Lawson Van Tock, I think that's how you pronounce that. I, I'm gonna, I was going to butcher that from the start. Um, or it's Toke or Tock, I don't know. Uh, but he was an intern at the Jurisica Lab. I'm, I hope I pronounced that all correctly as well. Uh, and he tragically passed away in 2007 uh, during his first year of graduate school. And he was working on uh, visualizing how molecules and proteins interact with uh, other molecules and proteins and see how they interact with health healthy cells in, uh, in order to either produce cancer cells or produce healthy cells. <clears throat> and his aim was to find out what exactly caused the mutation of cancer cells from the proteins. Uh, he was on a team that was helping to develop the Navigator visualization software. That's what it's called if you want to try and search it up. Uh, it's Yeah, it's spelled Navigator, like you would spell Navigator, except the A is not capitalized for some reason. Uh, in his memory, uh, they created a fund called Ian's Fund. And um, yeah, they ride every year, I think, to... Um, raise funds for the fund um, and yeah it's been more than 10 years and IBM has still been helping and sponsoring out this fund so congratulations to IBM well done for them uh, for their help well done for Ian and his work and uh, hopefully this fund lives on and really goes a long way to help with finding exactly what causes cancer and uh, this, just to reiterate, this fund does relate to IBM's project of uh, IBM's Well Community Grid project of mapping cancer markers. So if you want to go and help out figuring out how cancer works and how cancer is caused, you can check out mapping. All right, let's move to another project now, GPU Grid. GPU Grid has had a little hiccup during the week. Uh, they mentioned that they were suspending their project for a very short time during the week because uh, apparently there was some issues with the application that people were running on their computers. Um, as far as I know, they have not stated exactly what was the issue. I'm just doing a quick check now. Yeah, I can't, I can't really find anything. But um, yep, yeah, so GPU Grid suspended their project due to an app issue. Um, I don't know if anyone here knows exactly uh, what the issue was. Uh, but it could have been computational errors, it could have been a security issue, um, it could have been anything. But the good thing is, they're back. <laughs> they're back on. And uh, they have updated the applications, and uh, yeah, it all should be working now. Um, it looks like it may have been a CUDA issue, or yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, software licensing issue. So um, it looks like that GPU Grid had a bit of a software licensing issue, so they probably had to change a bit of their code. So yeah, it's not uh, it's not that bad. Um, otherwise, they would have made a big deal about it. So it was just a small issue regarding licensing, by the looks of it. And yeah, um, they do reference Nvidia's CUDA application because they do use CUDA a lot. CUDA is a special type of software and infrastructure to do parallel computing. 
And uh, yeah, they mentioned a bit of compatibility or something here. <clears throat> All right, now some news from Asteroids at Home. They have a paper and uh, they are trying to... Uh, th- after doing their sky survey and computing some of the results, they've uh, actually found some hazardous near-Earth asteroids. <laughs> so we're probably not in danger, but now that we know that we might be in danger... <laughs> yes, exactly. Yay, question mark. <laughs> Uh, so they did some photometric measures of all the asteroids, so that gets their shape and their rotation. So we know how fast they're spinning, what what way they're spinning, and what they actually look like. Uh, so they tracked a whole lot of asteroids, and I took a look at the I took a look at the paper. I think around 75% of the paper is just raw data. <laughs> so um, that's pretty good. But uh, here's some pictures from the paper. All right. Uh, I'll tell you now that I have no idea what these graphs mean, but uh, if you to describe them for those who are listening, uh, we have a uh, measure of phase angle for the asteroid versus their relative intensity, I think. So uh, that looks like an inverse logarithmic uh, graph, so it has exponential decay, so it goes from really high and comes down really quickly and then peters off into something that's slowly decreasing. Uh, I don't know what it means. (laughs) I'm not an astrophysicist. Uh, I did do physics, but not this sort of physics, because this is like really high-level stuff. There's also some other plots that they put in. Uh, These look like scatter plots uh, and a histogram of colors. I never knew asteroids had colors. (laughs) Um, I don't know what they mean by color. I don't know what they mean by albedo. Uh, but they they have some very good groupings by the looks of it. So the data doesn't look very random. It looks very sort of clustered together. Uh, and hopefully they can make some sense out of it. And they're from the two colors that they've separated, they've got blue and red. They seem to form two separate clusters. So um, I haven't read the paper, but if I read the paper, I could probably figure out <laughs> what those two colors actually mean. And uh, hopefully, with these new models, thanks to asteroids at home, we can get some more information on uh, asteroids that might be heading towards the Earth. <clears throat> All right, and I think finally we got another little uh, scientific paper. Uh, this one's from QCompedia, and they have released their paper on uh, EvoMol, which is a described as a flexible and interpretable evolutionary algorithm for unbiased de novo molecular degenerate uh, molecular generation not degeneration uh so yes uh, the evomol paper is not the full results of the project it describes what the project is aiming to do pretty much because they are still in the progress of researching and training it uh and so basically what you'll be doing with qcompedia is you'll be training a algorithm to figure out particular molecules or explore different areas of the, as they describe the chemical space, so that's dealing with molecules and possibly proteins, and generate different molecules and stuff like that to help uh, scientists. So it's like asking, oh, give me a molecule that can help uh, bind to an antibiotic or something like that. And then you'll be able to go to this little algorithm and you'll be able to say that or something similar to that. And it'll just give you a protein, or it'll give you a molecule. So that's what Qcompedia is working on. And they have their paper that's released. So uh, if you want to go and check out their publication, you can go check it out. Um, but keep uh, keep an eye on Qcompedia, and we're actually going to be talking about it this episode. <laughs> Let's start talking about emerging projects. So what I mean by emerging projects is projects that have been here for only about a year or less, 
and uh, they've been they're doing some new science or uh, projects that also do something a bit different and are quite new. And I've got how many? I've got one, two, three, five. I've got five projects lined up. If anyone knows any others that might be around that I missed, if we have time, we can talk about them. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's just uh, get started. So some of the smaller ones. Uh, there is a new project, um, Athena. It's been around for a little bit, not that long, and it's quite a new project, and it does something quite interesting too. Uh, I believe I've done a project brief on this, so if you want to know a lot more details about Athena, you can go and check out my project brief. But they've recently released their actual production application now, so uh, I'm pretty sure that they've actually started sending out real work units, um, or at least their beta work units, to start actually computing and crunching data, and they actually have some results so far. I'll post a picture in the chat. All right, if that image doesn't embed, you're going to have to click on it because the image is so big that Discord isn't going to display it unless uh, you have a special setting. And uh, what you are looking at there is a very, very, very big graph. And I'm not talking about a normal like histogram or line graph or something like that. I'm talking about a mathematical graph. And I've talked about it in a couple project briefs before. And all it is is basically a node connecting to another node or a circle connecting to another circle and then those circles connecting to other circles and just that. That's, that's essentially what a mathematical graph is. And uh, you can use that in the case of Athena to model how the internet is actually structured and how computers are connected to each other. And so each computer is represented by a little circle on this picture and we were able to map an absolute huge picture. And just to give you a sense of what it looks like for those that are listening, imagine you had a, um, it, it almost looks like you've shot a paintball into a, into a wall, uh, except uh, that paintball was filled with paprika instead of, um, instead of paint. So from a distance, it looks quite dusty, but if you zoom into it, it looks almost tree-like. So it comes out and spans out from a center. And from that center, it uh, spans out into leaves and branches. And then those branches might have clusters. There's a lot of very big circular clusters on this, on this graph. It's probably stuff like uh, internal networks. So for example, if you want to get to, I don't know, let's say duckduckgo.com. All right. And let's say duckduckgo.com, uh, because it's a, because it's a uh, search engine, it'll probably have to have some load balance. And so what that means is they'll probably have lots of computers doing the same thing, and that's searching up stuff on DuckDuckGo. So uh, some of these circles might be those sorts of services. When you go into their network, they may have a whole range of computers that do the same thing, and you can access them and they'll, they'll do the same thing for the purposes of serving as many people as possible and for reducing the risk of denial of service attacks. Uh, and yeah, so Athena's got some stuff going for it, and it's actually used that image to make one of their banners. So Athena has their own banners that you can use if you want to... Um, if you want to advertise Athena somewhere. I'll post one in the chat. They're doing a bit of science communication here, which is brilliant. Their banner looks fantastic. It's nice and clean. It's circular. It's got a nice mint color and uh, it's easy on the eyes, mostly. <laughs> and uh, it, it's perfect. And uh, I've been running Athena a bit and there's an interesting thing about this project that uh, it actually has a different type of work unit. It's, if any of you know DHEP, it's similar to those sorts of work units. DHEP is an old and defunct project now. Uh, unfortunately, it had to shut down because of lack of funding. Uh, but yeah, uh, Athena's work units, you don't necessarily have to resubmit 
what will happen is that the Athena work unit will use your networking hardware. So it'll ping certain servers and run what's called trace trace uh, trace routes. And you can know you can learn about all that on my Pro Athena project brief. Check it out. Uh, and uh, it'll then basically just send the data back to Athena once it's done. And uh, you'll be awarded credit not necessarily for submitting the entire work unit, but for doing some of the uh, some of the work in advertising. And uh, interesting thing, if you've run some of these work units from Athena on your computer, you might see that it says uh, not using CPU or non-computational task. And what that means is uh, it won't actually be using your CPU. It'll be using other stuff and it'll leave you room on your computer to do other things. So you can run three different Boink projects if you want. One can be a CPU project. One can be a GPU project to run on your GPU. And then one can be Athena to run in the background behind all. It's entirely possible to do that and it won't interfere with any other Boink project. All right, that's Athena for you. Uh, now let's go to another one which uh, came out recently but um, hasn't really been, I guess, worked on that much. Uh, it's called Clean Mobility, uh, Clean Mobility Now. That's its title and it's QMC at Home. Uh, and uh, it is uh, a clean energy and protein project that, oh, sorry, not proteins, molecule project. And uh, it aims to find, uh, pro oh, sorry, I keep saying proteins. <laughs> it aims to find molecules that can be used to help solve certain issues. So uh, they have two main aims of QMC at home. And uh, they uh, one is finding clean energy solutions. So that's for more specifically finding better molecules to use in batteries. Because if we're going to move to electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles, we're going to want better batteries, ones that are safer and store more energy and are lighter, and uh, also um, can store more per uh, per metric per volume. Uh, and then the other side of QMC is using molecules to find solutions to various diseases. And uh, it's regarding uh, stuff with DNA and uh, other diseases and stuff like that. And so, yeah, they, they use uh, molecules to do a lot of things. And because there are so many molecules, they have to basically use computers to find the right molecules for certain stuff. So uh, I think as they say on one of their infographics, they have some really nice infographics as well. Um, at the front of their project and uh, on uh, their page they say there's about 10 to the power of 6 different um, combinations I think sorry 10 to the power of 60 possibilities I knew that was a small number <laughs> there's about 10 to the power of 60 possibilities that's 10 with 60 zeros on the end so because there are so many possibilities and because there's so much so many molecules to figure out um, you seriously have to use computers for this stuff so QMC at home. I don't know if anyone is crunching it. If anyone here is crunching it, tell me if it's up because I honestly don't know. There's not really anything on their message boards um, unless they just haven't up updated their main site. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I haven't heard much about QMC at home, um, but it is relatively relatively new. And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. All right, let's go to another one. Uh, let's go straight with uh, MLC at home. Okay, so MLC at Home is a new one, and uh, it aims with dealing with the training of AIs to, or sorry, neural networks. Uh, I'm not going to explain it much because we do have the project admin of MLC at Home in here. Um, ugly bag of mostly water. Do you want to speak or do you want to chat? <laughs> is he here? <laughs> oh, okay. 
Uh, yeah, you have to set push to talk and check whether you're... Uh... <laughs> okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll move to a different project then. All right, uh, let's move to... Um... I'd say we'll leave the best to last, so we'll <laughs> do MC at home last. Uh, okay, let's move on to Qcompedia. So Qcompedia, it's a relatively new project. Um, it's I've done a project brief on it too. It stands for Quantum Chemistry Encyclopedia and Intelligence Artificiel. And uh, it aims, uh, and we talked about it in the news a bit, and uh, it aims to use uh, quantum mechanics and uh, and pretty much algorithms or AI to select, um, select, uh, hold on, yeah. So it will be using artificial intelligence to select molecules from a huge database depending on what the application is. So if you want to try and solve diseases um, or a particular disease or try and find a molecule that binds onto something, you just have to give an algorithm or an AI um, a bit of information and then it'll select a whole bunch of molecules for you to test. And this is the, um, and this is the, uh, sorry, I just went blank. <laughs> oh, yes, sorry. And this is the, um, and then I went blank again. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay, I got it. And this is the idea uh, where instead of having to test all the molecules and all the everything, uh, they, um, they only have to test a very few set of proteins and molecules so that the scientists don't have to go to the lab 50 billion times, they only have to go to the lab about 100 times. And uh, it's a very interesting project uh, starting out. And uh, they have a lot of work units too. So um, they've got a lot of work going. They have their publication, which I mentioned earlier. And uh, yeah, they, they're they up and running and they're ready to go. Uh, I do read in the chat, uh, there's people that know QMC at home and has been around for a while. So my apologies. Um, I could not find as much information on it. So I could not verify whether QMC at home was actually around for a long time, but I know that they had their main new website app up for a little bit and that looked pretty modern. I mean, the, yeah, it's probably the fact that uh, I think you guys are saying they recycled their own project for a bit, so that probably will. Hey, if, they, if we can get more users on it to make it active, then let's go. <laughs> if, we get new, if we get new users on it, we might be able to push them into coming now instead of coming soon. All right, uh, MLC at home, are you ready? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Tell us about your project and what does MLC at Home do? So MLC at Home was started to look at analyzing neural networks so that we could understand what's going on there. So when you train a neural network, it's encoding some sort of continuous function in a in millions of parameters, hundreds of thousands, millions, sometimes even billions of parameters. And a lot of times when we hear about the major breakthroughs that are made in neural networks, they are, they're treated almost as black boxes. We know they work, we know there's some math behind it, but when you have that many parameters behind it, it's really hard to understand exactly what the model has learned. And this becomes a problem when you want to validate a model against a particular thing, like say, you know, you're, we've all heard the stories of the self-driving car where you put a sticker on the speed limit sign and then suddenly it thinks it's a stop sign instead of a speed limit sign or vice versa or something like that. And that's because somewhere in this network, the, the way we have to validate them now is we have some evaluation data where we basically pass examples through the network where we know what the answer should be. And if it comes up with the right answer for those examples, we're good to go. Um, so 
in taking a look at this particular problem, what we really want to do is take a data science approach to understanding neural networks themselves. And so we looked around and there really weren't any big data sets of just trained neural networks out there so that we could understand how the weights of these networks, how the shapes of these networks, you know, if we wanted to compare them against each other, we really didn't have such a huge data set. So MLC at home has been creating that data set where we're training tens of thousands of neural networks on the same bit of uh, same uh, bits of training data, really. And data sets one and two, which we've gone through, are you know training on five different examples, and we have we're aiming to get ten thousand examples of those five separate machines. And then we're slightly ch uh, changing the training data, and we're seeing if we can use a meta-analysis of the weights of all of those parameters to be able to detect differences between networks that were trained with different data. And in order to do that, we need lots of data. And that's where at least the first project for MLC at home, the MLDS project that, that's been running since uh, June 30th for over 100 days now, that's the goal of that particular project. We do see an option for further projects down the line. We'd like to validate other papers that are coming out in the machine learning community. We'd like to, you know, we could see this particular setup used for hyperparameter search or a neural architecture search, those sorts of things. But we're really excited about the data set we're building now and we're getting close to being able to release our first data set to the world and allow other crunchers, other um other scientists to be able to take this data and see if we can use weight-based analysis uh, to do new and interesting things that we weren't able to do before with neural networks. That sounds amazing. And just to put it into a simpler context for those that don't actually know what neural networks are, uh, imagine a computer where you can give it practically anything and it'll poop out a result. And hopefully that result will be the right thing. And uh, th that's what's meant by a continuous function. So the difference from your actual computer now is that in order to close the window that you're actually listening right now to this podcast on, you have to move your mouse and you have to click that X. That's something discrete that you have to do and you can't do anything else. But if your computer was an AI, you might be able to say, oh, close the Boink radio. I hate J Ringo. Um, and it'll do it for you. <laughs> and what MLC at home is doing in a more simpler context is it's trying to figure out how we can tell exactly what the what the neural network is doing, or at least how it's doing it, and compare it to different other network neural networks to see and validate whether it's actually doing the right thing. And uh, in uh, in order to do that, we have to look into it. And to do that, we need uh, lots and we need to do statistics and. To do statistics, we need lots and lots and lots and lots of samples. Um, so uh, now, MLC at home, tell me, um, I know that your project aims to, the, the initial aim was to validate whether um, the neural networks were uh, are actually doing what they're supposed to do and validating whether they're correct. But uh, it, if we are looking into the actual neural networks to see how they're doing things, do you think it's going to become a possibility that instead of making the neural network and then training it, we can use an existing training to build up a neural network, if you understand what I'm talking about? Oh, I think so. I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. And one other thing you could think of as a potential <clears throat> outcome of this is if we can understand what 
individual parts of the neural network are doing, then instead of having this big humongous neural network that we that has millions or billions of parameters we can't understand, maybe we can simplify that down to a set of rules that are very easy for a human to look at and understand, but it was still learned from what the neural network itself was doing. The, the original idea for this was actually, uh, I, I'm a computer architecture buff and I'm a computer hardware buff. And so I was looking for ways to maybe if I took unknown hardware uh, that I didn't know what it was, could I start twiddling some input bits and look at some output bits uh, and, and you know twiddle input bits to the hardware, see what output came out um, and figure out what was going on inside the hardware. And when I started talking about, well, looking at inputs and looking at outputs, what if instead we use those inputs and outputs to train a neural network based on what we see on the device and then you replace the black box with a gray box that's this pile of linear algebra that is what a neural network is. And so I was trying to you know, think of maybe Skynet building, trying to figure out how to build automatic device drivers for a system. You, know, you plug in an unknown device, it starts probing it and figures out what it's going to do. That's like way out there. But knowing and understanding what these what is going on inside of a neural network is very important for everything from safety to even just understanding how to construct uh, rule-based systems for artificial intelligence. Yeah, and I think it's going to be textbook changing because I remember reading in my uh, information and process technology textbook about decision support systems. And uh, they told us uh, pretty much three different decision support systems. You have an actual program, which will give you input and output, depending on what you put in. Then you will have a uh, expert system, which is a set of rules that go in and say, oh, do you have a fever? Yes. Do you have a cough as well? Yes. You probably have coronavirus, <laughs> stuff like that. And then they said there's also AI, which is the, deci uh, the really most high level of decision support systems. And the key thing about an AI is that, or at least a neural network, is we, we don't actually know how it actually does it. Because in an expert system, you can say, oh, well, I said you probably have coronavirus because you have a fever and have a cough. All right, but with an AI or a neural network, you just say, I have these symptoms. The AI, the AI says, yeah, you probably have that. You ask why, and it says, eh, I don't know. <laughs> and that's what MLC at Home is trying to do. Uh, now, before we move on to the next project, MLC at Home, do you want to discuss exactly what that graph that you posted actually is? <laughs> so there's, uh, we've done some really quick preliminary analysis, and this was done about a month ago. But what you're seeing here is a, <coughs> a clustering in two dimensions of the data set of neural networks that we train just on our, what we call data set one on the website. And each one of those clusters is one of the five, uh, actually, I guess, yeah, five, yeah, five different machine types that that we've uh, trained a network on. So these networks are the same shape, but we've given them different training data. And what we were hoping to see, and what you can see in this picture, is that there is some separation. There is some clustering that is going on. So uh, machines that are trained with the neural net, you know, one type of training data are in red, and they are clearly different in you know even going from this high dimensional space down to two dimensions you see some separation between them and that gives us real confidence that say even if a network was trained that you you know you have some networks that were trained with known good data and then maybe some networks are trained by some adversarial data or some known bad data that 
you can really see based just on the weights of those networks that they were trained with different data, uh, different data sets. And if you know what the good one is, you can start to see, well, this doesn't appear to be in the cluster of what I know is good. Therefore, maybe I should check out this network and make sure it's still in a good state. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and just to quickly summarize that, basically what that graph that you're seeing there, for those that are listening, you have a lot of different blobs there. You've got a red blob, blue blob, orange blob, green blob, and a sort of purple blob. Uh, and they're all the key thing is that they're all separated from each other. And so the graph plots their differences. And the fact that we can actually calculate these differences is phenomenal. And um, it, it, as the project admin MLC at home just said, you can see whether a whether a neural network was trained was trained with the appropriate data, um, and it's 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 fantastic. And I can definitely see a project brief coming up for this one. All right, thank you, uh, MLC at home. All right, now we've saved the best to last, Minecraft at home. This one's a new one, and I wouldn't say it's emerging anymore because it's Discord has there's thousands of people in their Discord now. <laughs> Uh, over over four thousand members in their uh, in their Discord server. Uh, so they they're a brand new project, Minecraft at home. If you don't know what Minecraft is, stop listening to the podcast right now because it's sort of disappointing. But if you do know Minecraft and you want to try and find some of the Easter eggs in Minecraft, this is the perfect project for you. Uh, and we've had the project admins and we've also had some of the programmers from Minecraft at home uh, on, on the Boink Radio before. Uh, and we have them again. And uh, they're here to talk about their project. So who wants to have a chat? We got VCO and um, Chip. Uh, I don't think. All right. Um, Vico, do you want to, um, you want to chat or do you want to talk? All right, cool. So, uh, just first of all, uh, give us a bit of a idea about what your project, um, or what your project Minecraft at home is, uh, doing and, uh, give us a purpose if you have one. So essentially what we do in Minecraft at home is we find interesting things that can happen in Minecraft and generally speaking, we find the seeds for the worlds where those interesting things happen because, most interesting things rely on a world seed at this point. So we have things like finding the tallest cactus and finding iconic images such as the pack.png image and the title screen panorama image, which were kind of amazing finds considering how long ago they were, the low resolution of the images and various other circumstances that made them kind of incredible to find. And how quick you found them. <laughs> and through the sheer brain power of several people we have there, mostly not me, um, we found them, which was, well, would have been very interesting if I was awake at the time, but I woke <laughs> up about six hours later to several pings in lots of places. Um, now, uh, so we we do know that you have completed a whole bunch of projects on minecraft at home so as you said you found a whole bunch of seeds for the um for the panorama images and some other images and also the tallest cactus um what's next for minecraft at home uh currently we're looking for several things the two most notable ones are the minecraft trailer from i think 2011 or sometime around that period which was Obviously, also a long time ago, except we're working with a lot more footage this time, so hopefully it should be easier. So that's one of the main projects we're working on. And then 
if you've heard of Herobrine in Minecraft, which you probably have if you've heard of Minecraft, we're also working on finding the seed for the original image where Herobrine was shown from the 4chan post years and years ago. Ah, okay. Yep, that, that's going to attract a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, just quickly on that, um, regarding the trailer, the video, wouldn't it be harder to find it? Because you got a whole lot more data for a more, more specific world and seed. We have had people suggest that, but at this point, it's we do have a lot more data. So obviously, there's there's going to be an element of now we have to try and find which bits of that data we actually have to work with to find what we're looking for. But considering we've already done several projects of this nature, and we know the sort of things we should be looking for, it should be easier because we've got locations of things such as trees <coughs> and grass. That sort of thing helps you much easier reverse the world seed. And the fact that it's moving allows us to find things like coordinates easier, which is an integral part of finding the seed to worlds as well. Um, uh, and also another quick question. Do you plan on moving away from seeds and maybe into some other aspect of Minecraft? Have you, have you thought about that? We're definitely interested in doing other sorts of projects that don't involve seeds. It's just that um, none have really come up yet of a significant scale. There have been quite a lot suggested, but most of the suggestions revolve around finding specific world seeds. If there is something really good that isn't a world seed, we'll definitely look into that as well, though. Yeah, because I was thinking maybe you could do something with redstone or something like that, because uh, that doesn't involve any any world seeds. <coughs> yeah, it. We've. I think I've. I've definitely heard people speaking before about things such as finding the most optimum way to do certain pieces of redstone by just brute forcing it with CUDA or something like that. That's. It's been discussed at points. I'm not sure where that's gone, but I'll definitely talk to a couple of people about that as well. Um, and uh, just on the um, the actual science communication part of it, uh, the fact that you can actually this is one of the main this is one of the Boink projects that have come about where when you actually crunch the work unit and when when the work unit or the project the sub project is done, you actually have a deliverable, and that deliverable can be used by pretty much everyone and uh, everyone who has Minecraft and can hop onto Minecraft and actually play the game. So um, tell us a bit about your aim with uh, your project communication. A large amount of the project is obviously people enjoy Minecraft and we want to find cool things in Minecraft. And most people, I say, are there pretty much just because they want to find interesting things in Minecraft, which is great because finding interesting things in Minecraft is fun, but it's also fun to help with Boink and have more people go from Minecraft to Boink. Currently, we don't actually have any work units going, so we just kind of post the occasional announcement in the announcements channel saying, hey, there's other projects on Boink, maybe you should go check them out, because they'll help with everything. Yeah, that's fair enough, and um, yeah, that's the aim with uh, a lot of other projects too, where um, if there's one big sort of honeypot which attracts everyone, um, then uh, usually you'll have a portion of those going to other projects, or, or sorry, you'll have a portion of those who actually stay on Boink, and then that portion of those who actually stay on Boink and stay crunching that project will probably move and explore other projects, and then a portion of those people will go on to find even more projects and stay part of the community, and um, uh, as 
uh, Vico just said there, that's that's one of the aims of their project. And they do post announcements every now and then about telling others that if you want to keep crunching, you can point projects. And I think they're doing a fantastic job of uh, getting everyone. And I hope to see that uh, there's new projects coming about. I would love to see a Redstone project too. But if you have a suggestion, you should go into their Discord server. They have a Discord server, Minecraft at Home. And if you have any suggestions, put them in. Uh, I would love to see a red, redstone. All right. Thank you, Vico, for telling us a bit about Minecraft at home. <clears throat> All right. Um, that pretty much brings us to the end of the Boink Radio. This was a fantastic Boink Radio. I think it was super awesome without Jerry. Do whatever we want. Uh, but we can't have a Boink Radio without a Rig of the Week. <laughs> Don't worry. I had it planned. I had it planned. Um, this one's an interesting one. Uh, this one was posted on the boink, the r slash boink subreddit, and uh, it's from Blame the Parts Guy, and he has a picture of his cat lying on top of all of his phones running World Community. And let me just get the. Hopefully that embeds. There we go. So yeah, <laughs> this one's in the r slash boink subreddit. Go check it out if you haven't already, and subscribe to it, follow it, whatever Reddit does. Um, and yeah, it's a picture of their cat. It's a white cat, lovely white cat. And, um, it's, looks like it has a couple black stripes there, almost a zebra cat. But, uh, <laughs> it's lying on top of all the, well, uh, all the Android phones running World Community Grid, apparently. And, uh, as usual, cats love their, their warmth. I think there's, there's got to be a, at least a couple people, um, in this chat who have cats that like to sit on top of their computer as it runs boink. Uh, and we do have Flaming, uh, Flaming Alir, uh, or however what's your name, uh, with the Egg Cat currently. <laughs> All praise the Egg Cat. Ah, uh, okay, so yeah, that's Rig of the Week. A whole bunch of Android phones running World Community Grid and, uh, the cat. <laughs> Boiling the egg. Too bad there's no one to laugh with me, J-Ringo. <laughs> Alright, I'll see you all next time, and hopefully J-Ringo can attend as well, so... Um, thank you everyone for attending. I hope this was great, and uh, I'll see you next time on the Boink Radio. Roll the outro, and I don't have to do Craig Lee because I have it recorded on OBS.